0: to answer the question, how can an ancient text be relevant to my life? I want to let you know from the the beginning that God loves you. God wants to have a relationship with you, and God wants to speak to you through his word. The Bible says, That the word of God is active, and it's living, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. That it can divide your soul from your spirit. It can speak to the depths of you. But I understand that if you're here today, and if you don't believe in the Bible, uh, it's not very good logic. It's not very good debate to say, well, the Bible says that it's true, Well, that's not very good evidence, is it, if you don't believe in the Bible in the first place? So I want to talk for just a moment about how the Bible came to be and how we know that it was inspired by God. So we're going to break this down into three questions today. And the first question is, how do I know that the Bible is inspired by God? Some of you are here and maybe you've never read the Bible. Maybe you think the Bible is totally archaic. Some of you are here and you have read the Bible every day of your life, and when you were little, your little granny read it to you. And sometimes this question is in our heads whether we're Christians or not. How do I know that this thing is actually inspired by God? How do I know that this thing I lean on as truth is actually truth? One of the core values that we have at our church is biblical authority, which means we believe that any issue that comes across can be uh, spoken to by the Bible. And we lean on the Bible as truth and as authority, but how do we know that it's actually inspired by God? We believe that scripture was inspired by God, which means that God, through the Holy Spirit, inspired people to write, and these works became known as the Bible. Okay, there wasn't like some parchment and a and a pen with an invisible hand that wrote itself. God spoke to people, and through those people, the Bible was written. Here's why. God is a personal God. God is a personal God, and God made us in his image. And he treats us as people with free will. The whole process of the revelation of God is a self-disclosure of the person of God, to people who actually lived at a place in a time. Okay? God's truths have been revealed in and through the living experience of human beings who wrote down what God inspired them to write down. So the thing, as I researched this message, it was really fascinating. What I found was that translations of the Bible have remained remarkably consistent over generations. We're going to dive into a super quick history lesson. Some of you are into history, some of you're not. If you're not, try to stay awake for the next couple minutes. But uh, very early on, we had the disciples who began to write down their experiences with Jesus. We just did a 16-week series on the Gospel of Mark. This was is what Mark did. He wrote down what happened, and what he saw, and what he experienced with Jesus. So very early on, there were a couple of other authors who are not included in the Bible, but who corroborated the stories of those early witnesses. One of them was named Josephus, that's in my American accent. I'm not going to try to, you know. And another one was Justin Martyr. These people wrote works during that same period of time that corroborated the stories of the disciples and the apostles. And the early church was very careful what they considered authoritative. So if you imagine you're a church in in Greece and you're there and someone comes to you and they say we've got new we've got new material for you guys. This is the account written by the apostle James and this is for you guys. They're going to look at that and go how do we know this is really How do we know that this is really from God? How do we know that this is meant to be included in scripture? So over several decades, over several hundred years, some committees came together with people who were passionate about the word of God and passionate about the church. And together they decided what books should be in the Bible. In the fourth century, uh, we had the Greek and we had the Hebrew, and people started translating the Bible into Latin, because Latin was the language of the people at that time. And the translations were really bad, because people just kind of kept going rogue and doing it. And we had a guy named Jerome, and Jerome took time to learn Hebrew and Greek, and he made a translation into Latin that was true to the original text. So in the Middle Ages, monasteries would copy the Bible word for word, and one thing I found out is that handwriting, systems of handwriting were developed in order to translate the Bible. We have handwriting today because people wanted to translate the Bible and make more copies, but at that time it was the monasteries that were making translations of the Bible, and if it was a really good monastery, they were like They were really well-trained. They had all the supplies they needed. They could make up to four Bibles a year. Four Bibles a year. And it took about 1,500 sheep to make a Bible because they would use like the hides of the sheep. It was not a pretty picture, guys. And then in the 14th century, we have a guy named John Wycliffe. And John Wycliffe said, let's start translating the Bible into English instead of Latin. Because if we translate it into English, people will be able to double check the things the church is telling them. Up until that point, Latin was the language of the very well educated, the very influential. But the commoners didn't speak Latin, so whatever the church told them the Bible said... That was what the Bible said. And John Wycliffe said, look, God doesn't just want a relationship with you through your pastor or through your priest or through the Pope. God wants a relationship with every Christian. And in order to have that relationship, they have to have access to the Bible. So John Wycliffe was was the guy who really advocated for translation into English. In the 15th century, we have the Gutenberg printing press, which made it faster and easier to print the Bible. And then in the 16th century, we had a guy named William Tyndale who translated it into more modern English, more true to the original meaning. And since that time, we've had an increased amount of scholars coming together to improve the translation over time. We've seen Bible scholars come together. We've seen apps come together. We've seen websites come together. But the thing that's really cool about this is in the 1940s, there was, I'm going to get this wrong if any of you are Bible scholars, so just forgive me. In the 1940s, there was a shepherd out in the area near Jerusalem, right? And he found a scroll, and he took the scroll to some people and said, This looks important. And they began to find in the caves these scripts of scripture that were from as far back as 250 BC. These were called the Dead Sea Scrolls, okay? So they pull out these kind of original writings, and they were exactly the same as the Bible that had been translated and passed down over generations and generations of time. That shouldn't happen with a text that's been passed down for over 2,000 years, and for the Old Testament, even older than that. So hundreds of years later, they found the original documents and found that what we have today in our Bible is true to those original documents. The truth is that people who love the word of God have continued to work to make the Bible understandable and accessible to everyone. So what I want you to understand is that God has continued working to communicate with us. Even after Jesus, he continued making a way for us to hold the Bible in his hands and share his word with others and know it for ourselves. God's pursuit of us did not end with the last page of the Bible. Over the last couple thousand years, God continued to help people innovate so that the Bible could become understandable and accessible. The Bible itself tells us that it's inspired. The Bible says, I am inspired by God which, again, is not great evidence if you don't believe the Bible in the first place. But the history of the text shows us that it is, shockingly, uh, it is shockingly consistent for a book that began with oral tradition. It's been translated through archaic languages, and it's passed through tons of generations and tons of different cultures. So we have to determine that this text has been divinely inspired. But in order to believe this, we have to understand, what is the purpose of the Bible? What is the purpose of the Bible? Why do we have it? And how are we supposed to use it? In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul says to Timothy, he says, From infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So there in verse 16, when Paul says all scripture is God-breathed, what Paul means is that every word in the Bible was intended by God to be there. And he says uh, in verse 16, In verse 15, the Holy Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, I want to be clear with you. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you don't believe that Jesus is who he said he was. Maybe he was a good guy. Maybe he was a prophet for some people. Even if you don't believe in Jesus, the Bible has wisdom you can use for your life. The Bible has wisdom about finances. Things like, hey, don't take on more debt than you can pay back. This is good wisdom right? Things like don't argue with a fool because you're going to be wasting your breath. It has, good, uh, it has good relationship wisdom. It has good wisdom for your marriage. It has good wisdom for your relationship with your parents, your relationship with your kids, conflict management. I mean, the Bible is full of wisdom for your life, even if you don't believe in Jesus. But we have to be clear that the purpose of the Bible is not scientific, Although the Bible does not contradict science. Some of us grew up believing that science, all the scientists were out to destroy Christianity, you know? The scientists were having these meetings about how they could prove that the Bible wasn't true. If we believe that God created the universe, if we believe that this is true, bible the Bible and science support one another. When I was growing up, oh man... I was like in science class, you know, and they would talk about like the Big Bang Theory and evolution. And then I would go to church and they'd be like, these people are teaching our children the Big Bang Theory. And then as I thought about it, I thought, man, if we have a God that spoke the universe into existence, what would that look like on an atomic level? <laughs> it might look like the universe appeared out of nothing, right? The Bible the Bible is not there to keep us Too stupid to believe the educated people that God has given the gift to create uh, scientific discoveries. If God is the author of the Bible and the author of science, they don't conflict. They support one another. Many facts in the Bible are verifiable in science and in history, but the Bible is not meant to be a textbook on science The truths that God reveals in the scripture are not revealed by the scientific method, but by the Holy Spirit. So the purpose is not scientific. The purpose is not literary, although the Bible is a celebrated literary work. The New Testament was written in Koine Greek, which was the language of the marketplace. It wasn't the language of the elites. The purpose of the Bible is not just as a literary work, and the purpose is not philosophical, Although, the Bible has some really, uh, some really great wisdom, as I said. And there are passages in the Bible that create, that uh, present great philosophy. But, but the purpose of the Bible is not philosophy. The purpose of the Bible is salvation. The purpose of the Bible is the story of salvation, not just your personal salvation, not just my personal salvation, but the story of the salvation and redemption of all mankind and all creation. He, Paul says this in verse 16, or in verse uh, 17, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So our teaching, our correcting, and our training must be rooted in scripture and not in our own ideas. Some of us have grown up in church traditions that have started to get away from the heart of the story of Jesus and the heart of the gospel. We have to know the word well enough to constantly come back to the word. Why? So that the servant may be equipped for every good work. When I'm in the word, I become ready for what God has for me. When I'm in the word, when I have a relationship with God through his word, I become ready for the purposes that God has for me. I believe that God has a purpose for each one of your lives. God has a part to play through you for the kingdom. But if you're going to be ready for it, you've got to be in the word so that you may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Look, in the Bible, God didn't give us a list of do's and don'ts. Some of us have been raised to believe that the Bible is a book of rules, okay? Give 10% of your money to the church. Don't have sex. Don't eat pigs, don't do this, don't do that. But actually the Bible is not a list of do's and don'ts. God revealed himself to us through the Holy Spirit, and he gives us wisdom, and he brings us in community so that we can have wise choices. It's like, uh, it's like if you have a parent who only ever tells you what to do and what not to do, versus a parent who offers you loving guidance in the context of a relationship. That's what God gives us in the Word, is guidance in the context of relationships. He lays out in Scripture a best practice for how we live our lives because he wants us to have a full, abundant life. God will love you no matter what. God will love you if you disobey every word in the Bible. But if you want to have a full, abundant life, I would encourage you to dig into the Bible and figure out what it says. Because of that, we have to be clear that while the Bible can give us wisdom without us believing in Jesus, the point of the Bible is to bring us to Jesus. The point of the Bible, the purpose of the Bible, is to tell the story of Jesus. And when you read through the Bible with the Holy Spirit, he illuminates the word of God for you. When I was growing up, um, I lived in Indiana, which is like toward the north side of the map of America. And our family lived in Florida, so twice a year we would drive from Indianapolis down to the middle of Florida. It took about 17 hours. It was horrible. Um, But when I was a kid, I remember my parents had this big book of maps, you know, and my mom would sit in the front row and track the road down on the massive maps, and my dad would be yelling at her, which exit, which exit? She's like, I don't know, give me a minute. And, uh, And sometimes when my sister and I got bored, we would like look through the big book of maps, you know, the Rand McNally Road Atlas. And uh, that was how we got from point A to point B. Then when I was in high school, this thing called the internet came along. Yes, children, we didn't always have it. But then we had MapQuest. So when I would drive to one of my friend's houses, I would go on MapQuest, and I would put in their address, and I would put in my address, and it would tell me how to get there. And I would print out the papers and bring them in. Did anybody else? Does anybody else remember this? I would print out the papers and have them in the first, in the passenger seat, like step one, go here, step two. Or you would talk to your friend, and they would say, turn right at the McDonald's, and then you'll see two gas stations. And on the third light, you'd write it down. You get there, right? So that was an improvement from the map because someone could tell you some things to look out for. But now we have things like Google Maps and Waze. I love Waze because it will tell you if there's a car accident and it will route you around it to get you to where you're going faster. Reading the Bible without believing in Jesus, reading the Bible without the Holy Spirit, it's kind of like those old roadmaps. You can still get to a better place, but reading the Bible with the Holy Spirit is like ways, okay? It's like ways because not only, thank you, I thought that was a really good illustration. (laughs) Not only am I going to get where I'm going, I'm going to get there faster. I'm going to take a faster route to get there, and I've got a community of people around me helping me with information that they've already figured out. Okay? The Bible will do you good whether or not you believe in Jesus. The Bible will give you good things to live your life by. But when I believe in Jesus, when I'm a follower of Jesus, all of a sudden it takes on a new dimension because the Bible is not just there to give me wisdom for life. The Bible is there to tell me the story of Jesus. In the book of John, chapter 20, John writes at the end of the book, John says, why did I write this book? Here's why. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book, but these are written. I wrote this, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Scripture testifies to Christ in order to lead us to faith in Christ in order to bring us life. John says, by believing in Jesus... You may have life in his name. Whenever we read the Bible, we have to look for Jesus. This transformed the way I read the Bible. When we read the story of David and Goliath in the Old Testament, you're not David in the story, okay? Sometimes we say, you're David and and you can beat any giants if you try hard enough. No, the story is about how we are weak and we are not enough, but the power of God in us can help us overcome anything. The story of the fiery furnace isn't about how God can get you out of any sticky situation. The story of the fiery furnace is about Jesus being that fourth person in the, in the furnace. And even when we're suffering and we don't have any answers, Jesus is there so many of the stories in the old testament talk about the underdog right david was the youngest he was the youngest one we have jacob and esau where jacob was the younger one and he took over the birthright and over and over again god is saying this isn't going to work out the way you thought it would because out of bethlehem will come the messiah it's the story of jesus from beginning to end The disciples knew the Old Testament. The New Testament didn't exist when the disciples were with Jesus because it hadn't been written yet. It was still happening. But the disciples would have known the Old Testament and that's how they knew Jesus was the Messiah. Because they knew the scriptures that existed. The better they got to know scriptures, the more Jesus was revealed to them as the Messiah. So that's all great. That's all great. But what if you don't know how to read the Bible? We've, we all have done this different ways. Sometimes we start page one, and it's really good for, you know, a few days until we get into Leviticus and Deuteronomy, and we're like, what is this all about? Some of us do the point and shoot, you know, where you're like, Lord, show me where to read. <laughs> there we go. That's it, you know, and you try to make it, like, have some really deep meaning. But a lot of us don't know how to read the Bible, so if you're here and you have never read the Bible... I want to give you a quick crash course on where you can start. The first thing you need to do is you need to choose a translation that works for you. Um, a few of the ones I like, I can't remember the order I put the slides in, but go to the next one. Oh, there you go. Right, so a few of the translations I like in English, if you're better in English. The New International version, you can see the same verse there, written different ways. The New International version is the version that I use, because it was the version that I started with. This is the version I grew up with, so this is the one I'm the most comfortable with. The New Living Translation is a little bit easier to read, if you're brand new to it. The English Standard version is a little bit more academic. Uh, and then the Message version is like a paraphrase. It's, it's great I mean, it'll make you understand everything in there. So those are a few English translations I like. In French, there's not as many in French because I don't know. I don't know why. But in French, Louis Second is kind of a bit archaic from what I've heard, but they now have Second 21. Um, and it just has a little bit more updated language there. But there's an app that I really like called the Version app. And this is something you can find for iPhone or for Android. And... Uh, it looks like this. So the first screen is what it looks like in the app store. And it's called the Bible. I love this app. I use it every day. Um, and you can see how many versions they have. This is just in English. They have 60 versions in English. And the top five read to you. So some mornings when I read my Bible, um, it will, I'll have it read to me. And uh, then you can see how many languages are available. So no matter what language you speak, unless you're speaking a language I've never heard of, Um, no matter what language you speak, you can read the Bible in a language that you can understand. Don't read the Bible in English if you have trouble understanding English, okay? Read the Bible in a language that makes sense to you. Um, I would encourage you to start with the story of Jesus if you've never read the Bible. Start with the story of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is the story of Jesus. And if we're going to understand the Bible, if the Bible is about Jesus, we need to know who Jesus is first. So I would encourage you. I mean, there's some really cool stuff in Genesis. So if you want to start in Genesis, go for it. But I would encourage you to start with the story of Jesus John chapter 1 verse 14 says the word became flesh. God's word became flesh in Jesus and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. The word was revealed in Jesus. If you don't have Jesus, you're not going to understand a lot of this. So start with the story of Jesus. The next thing I want to encourage you to do is on that Bible app, find a plan to follow. And I think I've got another screenshot here of some of the Bible reading plans. You can like search... All of these are plans in the middle one here. They've got topics on marriage. They've got topics on parenting, finances, anything you can imagine. They've got like five-day reading plans. I'm doing the one-year Bible right now. So every day I tick off another day in my one-year Bible. And uh, I'm 27 days ahead, as you can see. But, uh, But this is what I use every day. I don't just try to pick a passage randomly every day. I use a plan. Okay, and if you're new to this, don't feel like you have to do this on your own because there's other people who have prepared the way for us. So I would encourage you to use this app and uh, find a plan. And the other cool thing about this app is you can friend request people and then people can see what you're reading. I'm friends with some of you. Feel free to friend request me. It helps to keep you accountable. Linda's friends with me on on uh, on the Bible app. So, and this can be great for accountability because then if you have a friend that you're talking to about it, your friend can say, hey, I see that you haven't read your Bible in a few days, you know? <laughs> and then you can be like, oh, I read it. I just wasn't on the app when I did it. But, uh, but this is an excellent resource for those of you who are brand new to the Bible. So we've got the reading part ticked off, but how do we figure out what the Bible is saying? How do we figure out what it's saying? Look, you're not trying to find something, figure out something that no one has ever figured out before, okay? We like to talk about the plain meaning, which means your goal in reading the Bible is not to uncover the secret that no one in the thousands of years before you has figured out. If that happens, you're probably wrong, okay? What we want to do is unpack the plain meaning, and here's how we do this. The Bible has eternal relevance, It means something for all times. It's relevant to all times and all cultures. But it also has something called historical particularity, which is a long word that just means it was written for a certain people at a certain time. Now, if we go too far in one of these directions, we're going to be off. Okay? If we go too far into historical particularity, we'll say, well, the Bible says that, you know men are not to shave the sides of their beards and women are not to wear jewelry or cut their hair so we, this is, it says it in the Bible, you know, if we go too far into just historical particularity this, or too far, that's too far into eternal relevance, everything in the Bible, we have to live by it if we go too far into historical particularity, then we write off everything the Bible says because it was only for those people at that time there are people who believe that speaking in tongues is irrelevant today because it was only meant for the time that it was written in. That's a problem. You're miss out, missing out on something God has for you. Amen. There are also people who believe that the the little the one little verse in the Bible that says God will give you the authority to overcome snakes. They take that to mean that we should hang out with snakes during worship time in church. <laughs> You know, if we go too far in one of these directions, our doctrine ends up getting off course. So we have to figure out what it means for us, what did it mean for them, and where did those two meet together. If we think only in terms of the history, we become anthropologists, and we render ineffective the eternal words of God. The Bible is not just a historical document, although it functions well on that level. It's true. It provides insight into past cultures and ways of thinking about God. But if we only fall into the eternal relevance side, we end up falling into incorrect doctrine because there were things that were specific for the people that they were written for. So we've got to figure out that tension. The other thing is that the Bible contains different literary genres, poetry, poetry, Prose, historical narratives, dialogue, all kinds of really, really interesting literary genres in the Bible. And if we go too far in one direction, we're going to end up making some mistakes. So we have to understand why they wrote what they wrote. So our first task is to figure out why this was being said to the people at the time. What were the surrounding events? Why was it said? And then we have to figure out the relevance I'm telling you to figure out a lot of things on your own, right? But the the thing is that we have to be, this is why we have to be in community with other believers. This is why we have to be in a small group or in friendships with other believers, because Google is not a replacement for Christian community, okay? If you start to Google things in the Bible that you don't understand, you're going to get some crazy answers. You're going to get some crazy stuff, okay? This is why your pastors are available to you. This is why your ministry directors here at the church are available to to you, your small group leaders, Ephesians says that God's plan was the church. Not just us as individuals, but us as the church coming together was God's plan. So when I take the revelation that God has given me, and I partner it with the revelation that God has given you, we all become stronger together. Amen. When we read a letter that someone wrote to us. We know that they were writing at a particular time for a particular reason, but those words continue to affect our lives. My grandparents have all died, but when I read a letter from my grandmother, I know that she was writing it to 16-year-old me or 20-year-old me or 23-year-old me. She was writing it for a specific reason, but sometimes when I read that letter, it still reminds me Of her love for me. It still reminds me of the wisdom that she was giving me. Okay, the Bible is not much different than that. There was a particular point at that time. But as we read that, it continues to speak to us today. So what do we do with the stuff that we don't understand? I would encourage you to find commentaries. You can find a ton of commentaries on Amazon. And stay in community. And I want to also encourage you to pray that God will help you understand. Pray that God will illuminate the Bible to you. Um, when I was in university, I, I, had a, I had one more humanities credit, and I decided to take a classical mythology course, because I thought, this is going to be so easy. And as we got into the course, uh, the teacher began talking about creation myths and flood myths. And here's how every ancient Near East culture had the same stories that we find in the Bible. And the author of the textbook said, Man, can you believe all these idiots who think that these stories in the Bible are true? Because look at all the other cultures who had the same stories that were told. And it threw me into a spiral in my faith. Because all of a sudden, I had to choose whether or not this one thing in the Bible was true and if that one thing was true or if that one thing was not true it was like a house of cards, everything began to crumble and I thought if there's this one thing in the Bible that someone made up, then none of this is true. This thing I've believed in my whole life someone just made it up to make themselves feel better and I entered into a crisis of faith I was leading worship at my church at the time, I was leading a small group and I just was like, man I don't know if I can believe this. I feel like a fool for believing this. And I prayed, and I said, God, if you're there, which I think you are, I said, God, I need you, I need you to make yourself real to me. I need you to speak to me, and let me know if it's okay for me to keep believing, and for me to stay on this path. And at the time, I was in the book of Colossians, just in my daily Bible reading, and I came across a verse in Colossians chapter 2 where Paul says my purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God the mystery of God, namely Christ to whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine sounding arguments I just came across that in my reading, and I thought, okay, Lord, okay. All of the wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. The mystery of God is hidden in Christ, and I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Now, that verse might not speak to you, really, but it spoke to me because it was what I needed at the time. God met me where I was. Last week, Dave talked a little bit about doubt. And as I was listening to Dave talk about doubt, I thought to myself, this is the kind of church I want to be. I want to be the kind of church where we can come together and be open and honest about the things we're wrestling with instead of all pretending that we're all there, that we've all arrived. If you don't struggle with anything the Bible says, you probably haven't read it. Because once you start reading it and digging into it, the levels of the mystery are so deep that sometimes we have trouble Sometimes we have trouble with it. But I believe, I believe that if you pray for God to open your eyes, if you pray for God to help you understand, I believe that he'll meet you where you are. I prayed about this last week. And I was like, God, I'm going to put you on the spot, man. Because I'm going to tell those people that you're going to speak to them. I'm going to tell those people that you're going to make yourself real to them. This is something I've prayed many times in my life. There have been times that that there were things happening in church, or there were things happening in my life, and I would just pray over and over, make it real, God. Make it real. Make it real. Make it real. Convince me, God. Convince me. You know what? He loves me so much that he does it. He does it. He invites me closer to him every time. He doesn't get frustrated or mad at me for continuing to question things. He meets me where I am. And I believe for you, if there's an issue with the Bible that prevents you from believing, I dare you, I challenge you to ask God to speak to you about that thing. And I believe He's going to do it. Hey, this is Kelly, lead pastor of The Bridge International Church. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from The Bridge. If you'd like more information about The Bridge, or if you'd like to get in touch with us, visit us at thebridgeparis.com.